Years ago, I was working at a restaurant. I was really kind of lower management, several people above me. But the atmosphere at the restaurant when I started working there was rather loose, meaning um, things were done mostly the way they were supposed to be done. Uh, but there was probably way too much goofing off. Perhaps the cleaning uh, uh, was not to the, uh, the level it should have been. And uh, just so there's no mystery here, I'm talking about a period of time where I worked at a Wendy's. Now, oddly enough, when I started working there, you know what the manager's name was? Wendy. And she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. She made coming to work so much fun. But the problem was that the restaurant was constantly underperforming. It was in a major thoroughfare, and so there were always hundreds, if not thousands, of people going by, and we were not doing the kind of business that should uh, that some a store should be doing in that situation. And so the nice lady, Wendy, was fired. I didn't find this out until I showed up for work, and there was a new lady in charge. And I could compare her to being nothing less than a drill sergeant. How everything was done immediately changed. But not only how they were done, but the quality of the work changed. For about three months, I had incredible difficulty navigating my job. I didn't know what was the right way to do things. I didn't know what she was expecting. And it was an odd situation to be in, a frustrating situation to be in, where everything seems to have changed. Now I know that there are Christians who are sitting here this morning who feel that way about the time and place that we are living in. Questions that we have that we never thought we would need to ask have become common. What if my favorite sports team has an openly homosexual player? What if my neighbor is transgender? What if my aunt is a flat earther? Should I wear those kind of clothes made by that particular company? Can I download that app? Can I go watch that movie by that studio? Can I get my coffee from that cafe? Questions we never thought we would have to ask. Everything seems to have changed. Now here in 1 Corinthians 10, we have a very similar situation. We have a very idolatrous city. We have a group of people who have become Christians. And they're trying to figure out how in the world they're supposed to interact with their world. And one of the questions that comes out, is it okay to eat meat offered to an idol? And see, the confusion was that some of the church was saying yes. You see, because most of the meat for sale was used in pagan rituals, and so if you were going to have a wonderful barbecue on a weekend, there was just no avoiding it. But others were saying no. We're Christians now. We're not supposed to have any relationship, any testimony where we interact with pagan idolatry. And so, of course, because they can't figure out the answer, it winds up in a letter to Paul. And we note in chapter 8, he says, all right, you asked me this question, let me answer it. And so over the course of chapters 8, 9, and 10, 
He's going to answer their question. And he's going to do so in a way that's going to give us principles and help as far as when it comes to navigating the changes going on around us. It is sometimes hard to believe that the world was significantly more pagan and significantly more immoral when Paul was writing than what we face today. And so these principles come not in an easy situation, but in a situation as far more difficult than our own. But the key to understanding what he is going to, to say comes in verse 31 where he says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, the text that we're looking at this morning, verse 23 to 33, is the conclusion. He's tying together all of the arguments he has made over the course of these chapters. And his conclusion is, if you're trying to figure out how all of this works together, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three of the principles that he gives here so that as the world around us changes, as we have these new and difficult questions, we can do all to the glory of God. So these are principles in doing all things to the glory of God. Number one, number one, the Christian has the freedom to do what is convenient first principle of doing all things to the glory of God is understanding that the Christian has the freedom to do what is convenient. I want you to look at verses 25 and 26. All right, so answering the question, the Bible says, as far as buying meat, you need go ahead, go to the market, knowing that it was likely offered to an idol, buy it and eat it, asking no questions for the conscience sake. And look at the reasoning that the Bible gives. Because the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Now this is a very interesting answer to come from someone like Paul. This would not have been a natural answer. You see, Paul, when he talks about his past, he will say in his own words, he was the best Jew. He kept all the rules. And the kind of religious observant Jew of Paul's type, when they would go to the market, would ask all manner of questions. Where was this meat butchered? How was it butchered? Do you know if the person butchering it was male or female? Do you know if she was pregnant? Is the butcher shop owned by a Gentile? What kind of Gentile? And on and on and on, they would ask questions. And what Paul is saying here, or laying out here, is, is that Jesus Christ did not die for your sins so that you could be a meat inspector. Now, there's nowhere else in your Bible where Paul is going to more expose himself as having left behind his Pharisaic legalistic background than when it comes to the subject of meat in the marketplace. But I want you to look at his reasoning. He says, because the earth is the Lord's and everything you find in it. So why didn't it matter? Why doesn't it matter when they go to the market? Why does it not matter where the meat came from or how it was used? Paul's argument is that if you trace it far enough back, you know that it belongs to the Lord because he made it. And we find out that he made it in Genesis 1. And when God made things, God declared that it was what? Good. And so Paul's argument is that God made everything. Everything God made is good. 
He's coming back to an argument that he makes earlier in chapter 8 where he says, look, idols are nothing. They're not real gods. They have no real power. They're just blocks of wood. They're just stone, whatever. So if a pagan has offered this meat to an idol, it's not like it actually got offered to any real god. It never really stopped belonging to God. And if you're a Christian, that means you were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been adopted by the filling of the Spirit. You belong to God. You're one of His children. And if that meat belongs to your father, by rights as his child, it belongs to who? Me. Us. And there's nothing that's going to change that. So he's saying, go to the most convenient market, grab your brisket, go home, smoke it, eat it, give thanks to the Father. This is a great verse on barbecuing. But the point is, as a Christian, you're free. And it's a principle the Bible returns to in other places. When it comes to some Judaizers who were trying to get Christians to keep the law, the argument that Paul brings back in Galatians is, you are free. When it comes in Colossians to cults that were beginning to pop up, Christian cults that were beginning to pop up and were introducing forms of legalism, Paul will respond by saying, let me remind you that you are free. It was a common tactic of false teachers to knock on a door and say, did you know where your meat comes from? But the Bible is saying, you are free. Now, clearly, the Bible is not saying you are free to do what God has said is wrong. You are not free to lie. You are not free to steal. You're not free to be immoral. But when it comes down to it, if God has not said that it is a sin, Paul is saying, the Bible is saying, you are free. So, if you are traveling on the road, and you are in desperate need of a cup of coffee, and everybody in your car is in desperate need for you to get a cup of coffee, and the only place you can get that coffee is one of those places where you heard might support a cause that we would not affirm, Paul would say to you, go buy your coffee, give thanks to God for it, because those beans belong to who? God. And if they belong to God, and you're one of his children, who do they belong to? You. And nothing a management or corporate says or does actually changes that. So if the only place you can buy your clothes from is a kind of place that uses perhaps rumor to use a type of labor or might be secretly involved in a plot to take over the world, guess what? Go and buy your clothes. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and everything you find in it. Because the cotton and the polyester and the silk that made those clothes belong to your father. Now, It is my guess if there's anybody paying attention this morning, somebody probably has in their head, well, yeah, but. Let me respond. First of all, understand I have two more points to go, so I might respond to your objection. But I also want you to consider, you are a child of God. Absolutely nothing on this earth changes that. The question is, do you really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords? 
Does a CEO of any company overrule what Christ has declared? There's not a single individual on this planet who has the right to bind your conscience in a way that Christ has not bound it. So when it comes to your daily life and buying your clothes and your food or car or eating out or watching a movie, you do what is convenient. Do not let a company or a talking head or a radio personality or a megachurch pastor convince you that you are anything other than God's child and Jesus is anything other than Lord. As a Christian, you are free. But that brings us to the second principle. How does a Christian glorify God in everything they do? And secondly, this morning, the Christian should be willing to do what is sacrificial. The Christian should be willing to do what is sacrificial. The problem here is that none of us live alone. And that's the point of verses 27 and 28. Here, Bible lays out a scenario for you. Instead of being out at the grocery store needing to buy things, The Bible places you at someone's home. You've been invited for a meal. Now, first of all, I want to clarify a couple of things. The Bible is already forbidden going to a meal that is taking place at a religious ceremony. You are not to eat meat unto idols if you are standing on the idol's turf. You don't go to your pagan neighbor's religious services. You don't go to your pagan neighbor's idolatrous festivals. And the argument that he talks about is that because these are places of demons, where these pagan rituals are going on, where this idolatry is going on, he says, this is the place of demons. And Christians have no business participating in demons. So clearly what is being talked about here is the act of being invited to someone's home or some private gathering. But I also want to point out here that Paul is putting it in this frame. The Christian knows that they are going to an unbeliever's home. The unbeliever knows they're inviting a Christian. So the scenario that Paul is laying out here, everybody has their cards on the table. Now notice what the text says in verse 27. If you get an invitation, and look at that phrase, if you be disposed to go, or if you get invited by an unbeliever to go to their home for a meal and you would like to go, what does he say? Go. Now, likely what is, he has in mind here is the kind of meal that was very common for that day, a meal where people were really just there to network. They were there for social advancement. They were very common things. That, the, the words he uses here clearly indicate that there, there's some motivation here, uh, some public motivation, I should say. And he's saying to them, look, there's no expectation that you're going to be cut off from non-believing neighbors or families or coworkers. He explains that earlier in the book. He says, I don't want you to be separate from the world to the point that that, that you can't actually reach the world. But then verse 28, he tells us something important. He says, if you're at the festival, now let me back up here. First of all, he does say, don't go, but don't ask questions, all right? So don't show up, don't ask him where the paper plates came from or who made the cake or, or what kind of meat they're in the burgers. You're not there to inspect them. Again, verse 28, he says, all right, so you're there, you're having the meal, and for some reason, somebody announces this has been offered to an idol. 
Now again, more fully here, we understand he's, he's, the problem here is not the fact that eating meat is wrong. The issue at hand is the unbeliever. The issue at hand now is testimony. You see, Paul's saying, if you are there and you believe that there is only one God, partaking could jeopardize that testimony. Going to the unbeliever's home was not a problem. Eating the meat offered unto an idol was not a problem. But the moment someone made it a point to connect what was going on to a celebration of a false god, it became a problem. But I also want you to note, he doesn't say, get up and run home. What does he say? Don't eat. All right, so, so if you want to think about it this way, he's saying to them, eat the carrots, carrot sticks, have some cheese and crackers, grab a root beer. But when it comes time for the burgers to be passed around and somebody says, hey, this was from meat offered to an idol, say no. Now, admittedly, most of us are not going to find ourselves in this scenario. All right, we're, most of us are not going to be at our friend's home or our neighbor's home, and they're going to have a nice barbecue, and they're going to put a burger on your plate and say to you, hey, just so you know, this cut of beef right here was offered up to Zeus. This is probably not going to happen. Most of the people we know are Christians, or we live in a very Christianized nation, uh, a very Christianized nation, but, but remind yourself, our missionaries do write about this. And Smedley's have mentioned this putting themselves right in that particular scenario where they're sitting down with somebody and realizing that eating was going to affirm something they couldn't. Confirming things like ancestor worship or sitting down and eating or eating what was given to them would be compromising something like the lordship of Christ. So it does happen. But whether we encounter the situation or not that's laid out here, the principle is actually very clear. You, as a Christian, are called to sacrifice your freedom in Christ to modify your behavior for the sake of someone else's spiritual condition. You know, I was saying to somebody, you know, almost all of the meat that was eaten in Corinth would have either been smoked or grilled. I like smoked meats. Would have been delicious. You would want to eat it. And, and there you are in the middle of a party and somebody hands you a plate of ribs and you know that it's going to be awkward to refuse it. But would you risk that for the sake of being clear about Jesus? Let me ask you a very serious question this morning. When's the last time you did that? James tells us that it was a failure to apply this particular principle that was leading to much of the church conflicts that were happening in the church that he writes to. He even, he even implies that one of the reasons God was not listening to their prayers was their unwillingness to make sacrifices for each other's spiritual condition. We often get caught up demanding our rights, exercising our privileges. We get swallowed up by the sin of radical individualism, which has permeated our culture. 
So I ask again, when was the last time you sacrificed and modified your behavior? You changed what you said, what you did, for the sake of someone else's spiritual condition. Doing so should not be abnormal. And if you're struggling to remember the last time, that's a problem. Because as Christians, we should be willing to do what is sacrificial. But that brings us to the third principle this morning of doing all things to the glory of God. And not only do Christians have freedom, and not only should Christians be willing to make the sacrifice, but number three, Christian, a Christian loves by doing what is edifying. A Christian loves by doing what is edifying. Now, in verses 29 and 30, a question is raised. If because of the grace of God in my life, I am free to eat whatever I want, I give thanks to the appropriate God for my food, why is it that my actions are being modified by the conscience of some other person? Or to put it this way, the question is, if Jesus has made me free... Why am I enslaving myself to someone else's weak conscience? And this is where we get the answer. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let me explain what he's laying out. In our first point, we saw that because of what God has done, we are free. And you can eat and you can drink and you can shop because everything belongs to God and because Jesus Christ is Lord of all of it. And so when you go and you eat and you drink and you shop in that freedom, you are actually giving glory to God. But then when you do things that are hard and costly and sacrificial so that the truth of who God is and the truth of Jesus Christ is clear, you are also giving glory to God. You're saying that the unbeliever being challenged with the truth is more valuable than you exercising your rights or your freedoms, and that's something that glorifies God. But nobody says after verse 31, because your goal is to make sure that God gets the glory, give no offense to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. I want you to note verse 32, notice the phrase, not seeking my own profit, or some of you probably have the word there, advantage. What I want you to note is those those two phrases, giving no offense and seeking someone else's profit or not taking advantage, are both phrases that Paul will use in another place to describe the act of love. Loving a person motivated by their spiritual condition. You have to think of the idea of giving offense as doing or saying something that might muddy the waters. Something that might actually pull them away from uh, the truth of who God is. Or let me explain it this way. You're saying, in Jesus Christ, I'm free. But I can give up that freedom for the glory of God. For the name of Jesus, I can give up my rights, my privileges. I can avoid creating unnecessary conflicts. And in those moments, when I do not know what exactly I should do, what is exactly expected of me, What I need to do is the hard work of finding a way to love that person. But not just to love that person, but to love in a way that clarifies God and his son, Jesus Christ. And you know who gets the glory when your motivation is to love another person? God. I want you to see the full circle here. I can eat and drink and shop and go 
because everything belongs to God and I'm God's child. But I can also not eat and not drink and not shop and not go because I want to make sure that what I'm doing is not muddying the waters for an unbeliever. But I can sometimes eat and sometimes not eat and I can sometimes go and sometimes not go. Because what I do and what I do not do is driven by my love for other people, my concern for their spiritual condition, that they would know God, believe His Son, and be saved. But let's look at ourselves for a moment. There are varying personalities in this church this morning. Would we agree? Some of us, some of us just glory in the freedom that Jesus Christ has given us. I don't know your background but knowing that everything belongs to your heavenly Father and that, that no one is Lord other than Christ is just something that you relish deeply. But we better make sure that our motivation isn't simply to fit in, to follow every fad and trend of this age. Because if that's what we're doing, if we're not exercising freedom, and what we're really using our freedom in Christ is an excuse to follow trends and fads, then our eating and drinking is not going to give glory to God. It really is just us finding an excuse to do what comes easy to our flesh. Now, some of us this morning, some of us embrace and enjoy the structure. We're ready to do hard things. We're ready to give stuff up. One of the things the Bible tells us is in a danger of going that direction is falling headlong into a form of legalism. And if all it is is about making ourselves feel morally superior, the Bible would tell you that not drinking at Starbucks or not shopping at JCPenney or not watching Disney because you want to be morally superior does not give glory to God. Most of us will fall right into one of those two categories. We will be in danger of falling headlong into a carnal Christianity, or we will be in danger of falling headlong into a Christian legalism. And we only avoid that if our motivation is clearly to love another person through edification. Our motivation must be to love that person, to make Jesus Christ clear, because that's what glorifies God. I thought of this this week for an illustration. We all saw the stupidity of government officials over the last year. And we saw some of the stupid rules they made everywhere during the pandemic. And those of us out here in central Nebraska had the good sense to realize that the rules they might need in New York City don't make sense out here. So we better be careful that we don't look at life the same way they do. Outside of clearly sinful behavior, there's not a single answer for every scenario you are going to face. And how you navigate these issues is by having motivation to be loving someone other than yourself. And have a desire to make Jesus Christ clearer. That is edification, and that glorifies God. Now, in a time like ours, it can be hard to know what we should or should not do. And as I said, some of us are going to struggle with leaning one way or the other. 
Some of us are going to be very much tempted to fall headlong into legalism. Others of us headlong into the sin of radical individualism. Perhaps the most prominent sin of our day. But the truth is this. There is one God, one Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, you are free. Nobody gets to make new rules of right and wrong for you. However, because there is one God and one Lord Jesus Christ, you should be willing to modify and sacrifice your freedom. And knowing when to do that is found in asking the question, how can I love this person and make Jesus clear so that God gets the glory? And that is how you make sure you do all things to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, and thank you for this wonderfully special text and help it can help navigate. Father, it was of help to the Corinthians who lived in such a pagan, idolatrous, and immoral time. And most certainly these same principles can guide us through the changes we see around us in our society. We thank you for this. We thank you for the truth. There's one God, one Lord Jesus Christ. Let that guide all, all of us in all that we do to your glory. Amen. If you have your blue hymn book,